dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. For many people, making decisions is one of the most difficult things about leadership. And yet, it's something every leader has to do all the time. Loving and serving our God doesn't take away our responsibility to make good choices and to engage them with all the energy that we have. But if it's so important, then why do we have such a hard time doing it? St. Thomas Aquinas offers keen insight into how decisions are made and how love can turn a decision into a choice. Hey everybody, I'm just really excited to be able to show you some of the depth of what the Bible has to teach us about making decisions. Now, we're looking here not just at the Bible itself, but at the Bible through the understanding of St. Thomas Aquinas, who's a Catholic friar from the 13th century, whose teachings really try to unpack what the Scripture says overall into a, a logical sequence of thought that we could use practically. And of course, that's what we're all here for, right? You guys, as much as we, we love to, to meditate on things that are profound, most of you need solutions to the real practical problems that you have. And one of the things that most of us struggle with, some more than others, is the ability to make a decision. And of course, this, this is a key for anyone who's trying to lead, be it in your home, be it in your marriage, right? When, when you're with someone who's paralyzed in front of the options that are in front of them, they'll never get people to follow them, okay? So followers follow people who have clear thinking. Right, the number one quality of a leader, according to the, a Gallup poll that was taken years ago, is their ability to generate a vision. Right? I will follow someone who knows where they're going. But to demonstrate your vision, you need to make that vision concrete by choices that you, that, well, that show you the path. Right? Like This is not only where we're going in the long term, but this is how we're going to get there. That kind of clarity generates a power for a leader that, that, that people love to follow. We, we, you know, even Aristotle, for example, way back when, gave an outline for how a speaker should engage an audience. And he said the way you engage an audience at the beginning of a talk is that you show the importance of what you have to say. Then you show the difficulty of what you're trying to resolve and why so few people seem to understand what you're about to teach them. But then you have to lay out for them the steps by which they're going to understand it. Clarity is key for the audience to follow where you're going. So if I was going to do that for today's talk, for example, that's, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm starting by saying you absolutely need to make decisions if you're going to be able to lead. That's the importance of it. Ah, but the difficulty, right, to kind of give you this as an introduction, just like Aristotle said to do, right? The difficulty is that making decisions is clouded in many people by all kinds of fear and all kinds of lassitude when it comes to the engagement of their will. People can know what's right to do and still fail to do it, right? So how can we overcome that? 
Well, to show we're going to overcome that, first, we're going to talk about what Aquinas shows. That's now I'm going to give you the clarity, right? First, we're going to talk about how Aquinas breaks down the act of choice. That is, what's the mechanics behind actually making a choice, right? And then we're going to talk about how we can free up our will to engage what we've chosen so that we can love our choices. And if we do that, well, then the upshot will be better leadership, both for our, in our marriages, in our families, over our kids. And then of course, in the world of work where we're trying to excel, right? So there, there you go. There's an example, right? Where now you have the clarity for what we're all in. And let's always remember that, right? With clarity comes a power that's greater than force. Many people today try to gain followers by passion. This is a, a big mistake, right? Because a follower who follows you out of your passion isn't following you with the engagement of their own mind. So if you want to control crowds, sure, go up on stage and throw all kinds of music at them and, and stimulate them in different ways. But you're going, to only, you're going to always have a crowd of followers who's completely dependent on your passion. How do you gain a crowd of followers who become leaders in their own right, engaging the depths of who they are and their talents and their skills toward the same end? I mean, that now you're really talking about power. I mean, if you could engage your followers to love the mission like you do and to give themselves and their talents and their skills towards the mission like you have, well, now you've triggered a movement. You triggered something much more powerful than yourself. You've triggered a, a, a reaction in your employees and in your staff that's going to produce results greater than you could do by yourself, right? But to do that, you need to have clarity about your decisions and about why they're good and about how you're going to get there. Clarity is a power much more powerful than passion. And I wish our world today would have a better understanding of this. I mean, when our Lord, for example, was teaching the people, look at how there was passion, of course, in his voice, and there was times where he cried out and this and that, but it, very rarely. The majority of his interaction with people was by teaching them, right? To show them the kingdom of God and through parables and through stories and also just through direct instruction and the way that he interacted with his apostles. Of course, there was passion there and there was love there, but there was a lot more teaching and taking the time to instruct them about the kingdom of God. Same thing with St. Paul. He even says, hey, when I'm in crowds, people don't think I'm very special. Then they read my letters and they say, oh my goodness, you know, this, this guy's so strong. But when I'm in your midst, I'm often overlooked. I might surprise you because you think, okay, the greatest of all preachers, St. Paul, he certainly had some sort of amazing, you know, powerful energy. He, he probably did, but it, it was an energy that was directed also at the truth and at the mind, which is also why when people rejected him, he let them be free to reject them because faith is something you opt into by assenting with your intellect. A faith that's simply emotional or carried about by, by the passion of one way or the other is a faith that will also fade when the passion fades. Right? Faith, but, but when a faith is an assent to truth, something that you really see and you say, this is a bedrock truth of my life, well, then your passions, they can come and they can go, but you continue in the direction that you've chosen. And I think it's fascinating to see how our Lord himself led. He doesn't want us, in other words, just to be his slaves. He wants us to give who we are in our unique way to the glory of the Father in and with and through him. 
And so the way that he does that is by a clarity of messaging that we assent to with our own minds and that we give our hearts to afterwards. But like, this is the whole beauty of it. Jesus invites us to make a choice, right? Now, the question is, are you inviting your followers to make a choice? For example, your employees, your staff. I mean, they're there. They're going to execute what you told them to do, but people can execute like a robot or they can execute with intelligence. And when people execute with intelligence, you know what happens? Two things. Number one, your quality goes up, of course, and therefore your efficiency and your bottom line. But number two, you're raising up people who are able to lead the company with you, under you, and, and of course, eventually replace you. I mean, the health of an organization is going to depend upon the quality of its leadership. And the quality of leadership can be measured by the clarity with which it's de our decisions are enunciated. Now, you can think about the same thing in your families because it goes in the same way, right? The more that children are engaged with their minds to see the truth, well, the, the, the more discipline takes care of itself. Now, that's obviously a complicated question, but you see the principle behind it. We need to become men and women who are able to form a decision and a choice in the people underneath us. And when we are, well, we're great leaders. Great leaders have followers who make choices. So how do you do this? I mean, this is what's so hard, especially in a world where people seem to be so scared of making choices. Well, that's where St. Thomas Aquinas comes in. I can't wait to dive into this with you. Would you like to hear more from Father Nathan? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a two-minute glance at the gospel every Sunday morning right to your phone. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. So we're looking at St. Thomas Aquinas, right? Who's a, a Dominican friar from the 13th century. And so you could say, what does he have that's relative to say to us? Well, that's just, <laughs> that's just it. He's a genius. I mean, the man is one of the greatest minds in, in all of history. And he's a great mind who was instructed by the eternal word of God. I mean, his whole effort is to take what we find in the Bible, but then to break it down into a logical sequence. So he, he doesn't, you know, he quotes scripture, you know, but, but he quotes scripture in a way that says, okay, this is, if you look at the Bible, what the Bible's teaching us about how the human mind works. And of course he finds this greatly, you know, consonance with what philosophy says and what our natural reason is able to reveal. And he brings them all together into this synthesis that he calls a summa. So, I mean, we could also look at directly at the Bible if we wanted to, and I do that a lot of times, but I want to familiarize you with this thought of this great leader, because by understanding some of the great thinkers in history, you're able to appropriate the truth in, through them, like as if they were to teach you the Bible, all right? I mean, otherwise, we could read the Bible all day long and then not understand it. The beautiful thing about going through a teacher is that they have understood it and then they use our language and they use our examples to make it something we can digest as well. And I, I want you to see the power of this guy because he has done more than many other people, many, to influence how we think and how we understand our faith today as Catholics, okay? And plus, he's just a genius. So to give you the, the reference for what we're looking at today, it's in the first part of the second part of the Summa question 13 with respect to choices, all right? So now this is what's so genius about him. He asked the question at the beginning, is choice something we do with our mind or is it something we do with our heart? Okay, so the, the, you know, the, re, the words he uses are reason and will. 
But what it comes down to is, is it an intellectual thing or is it something that we do following our gut? Right? So this is, uh, it's amazing because when you listen to a lot of leaders, especially entrepreneurial folk, it's people will say, well, no, no, no. I just make my decisions by a feeling. I have a feeling of what's to do. But actually, even though it feels like a feeling, if you're making a, a real decision that you're committed to and that you're ready to be responsible for, that, that feeling is translated through your mind into a choice where you see that this is to be done. All right, so your mind is able by different means. Some of us are more emotionally based. Some of us are more logically based. Some of us are contextually based. Our minds always act differently, right? So, so some of them are, are mathematical and logic and data-driven and others are more emotional or feeling, but it's still an operation of the intellect. That's the beauty of the mind. Intelligence is not equated with computers, everybody, okay? Like as great as computers are, that's only one form of intellect. Intellect, though, has this in common. It notices and sees that something is, in fact, good. There's a correspondence between the nature of what is universally good for the person and for our flourishing and a particular thing that we're going to be choosing, either a thing or an action. And we, we see a correspondence between these two things. Can the intellect be wrong? Absolutely. That's why we need to test our intellect by putting it with other people. We get advice from other people. What do you think about this? How do you see this? We listen. We also take our time. We let our feelings kind of calm down and we think it through. We make a plan A and a plan B because you can't be sure about everything in life. It's one of the big reasons why people are afraid of making choices because I just can't be sure. Well, Some things you can never be sure about. And one of the things you can never be sure about is whether or not this is actually really good. I mean, you have God's law, right? Where he comes down and says certain things are bad and he lists them off for us. You know, we're well aware of those. You know, it's called the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not do these. So, well, that's very obvious, right? But then there's a lot of gray area in life where you're like, well, but between these two things, which one is really good? And there you got to just say, oh, look, I can't really be sure but I can do my best to be responsible for it. What the church requires us to do is have what's called moral certitude. Moral certitude isn't the same thing as scientific certitude. You can't prove it, but moral certitude is enough certitude for you to say, I am responsible for this decision. Okay, so I have done my research, I've done my due diligence. Okay, if I'm gonna buy a house, there might be problems I'm unaware of, but I've gone through and I've tested the roof, right? And I've tested the floors and I've looked for asbestos and I looked for lead paint and I did my due diligence, right? So I'm, I, I'm able to say, you know what? Like I did the best I could. And it's the same thing when making a decision, right? So, but, but at the same time, at, your mind is saying, I have done my diligence, so, so the very first thing about making a decision is employ your mind. Think things through logically. Look and research your options. Look at the data. To, you know, listen to the evidence that's out there. You might choose to say, nope, I'm still going with my gut. I mean, a lot of good business people do that and, and they're successful. That's because their gut is also their intelligence. <laughs> when they use that expression, I'm going with my gut or you got you to feel it. Well, trust your feelings, Luke. Remember that from Star Wars? What he's actually saying is think and find the truth, but your mind has got to be operative in it. If your mind is not operative in a decision, it's not a real decision. 
And you can't engage yourself with responsibility and real drive behind it. You'll in the end blame whoever it was who sold you on this or that idea. You'll be somebody's victim, you know, but as if like you weren't the one that decided to do it because your mind wasn't engaged. Well, we don't have time for that. Right? A, a true leader is someone who thinks it through. So if you're facing a problem in your family, you're facing a problem in your business, first thing you do is you look at the data, you look at the, you look at the behaviors, you try to be as objective as you can about it because you need to find the truth. All right, it's the truth, that what's going on in that situation, right? And, and in that scenario, your mind is going through what Aquinas calls a practical syllogism. Okay, practical syllogism, it sounds like a fancy word because it is a fancy word. But what it means is a kind of like logic that you're going to end up presenting. If I were to come to you and say, why did you make that choice? You're going to say, because I was trying to achieve this goal and this was a means that said it could achieve that goal. And so I decided that I would actuate on those means to achieve that goal. That's a syllogism. You have step A, B, and C, and they're all linked up. And I could say, well, didn't you know that actually this, this decision you were going to make would never achieve that goal? And you'd say, well, no, all the evidence I had said that it would. And you say, well, well, you didn't know this or this or this or this. Okay. Well, had I known that, I wouldn't have chosen it. But you, you see, there's a, a logic behind what you're doing. And a good leader is able to see his own or her own logic and also able to show that logic to their followers to the degree is appropriate. Right? But if I'm going to follow you, the more that I can see that you've thought it through and that your thought pattern is clear and good and sound, well, the more I'm going to be able to engage in it as well. And we might be wrong, yeah, but odds are you're not going to be. When you think it through as wonderfully and carefully as you can, well, you come to a decision where your mind says, this is to be done. And when other people look at it, they're able to see the same thing. And now, of course, the advantage there is that instead of it just being you who are telling people what to do, you're now got the engagement of your followers because they too see this is to be done. Ah, but you see, we're not quite there at the end of leadership yet because even though we see this is to be done, that doesn't necessarily mean our hearts are in it. How do we then go from a decision to a choice? How do we go from something our mind knows to something that our heart wants? Ah, well, there, St. Thomas Aquinas gives us great insight as well. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. One of the hardest things about leadership that we, we have and we see, especially in our more junior employees or people that are just younger in life in general, is that we, we might know truth, but our heart isn't necessarily engaged. How do I get commitment, drive? You know, in, in order for us to get things done, we got to persevere through hard times. There are things that are thrown our way that are just going to make us want to stop and quit. And, and we don't have time for stopping or quitting. We don't want to do that because that's failure. I mean, leadership is about engaging action. Action requires us to endure through difficulties, right? Well, but we know as well as anybody else, when, when you're trying to get people to endure through difficulties, they've got to be properly motivated. It's not just that we see something is true. That's enough to carry us through. We need personal commitment, personal engagement. 
It's, it's amazing because they see this in a lot of companies. The more that a company has people that are engaged personally in what they're doing, the more that their quality efficiency goes up, the more that their, the quotient of morale goes up. I mean, everything flows from that. And when you look at a founder of a company, for example, or founder of a business, man, they had that. They, had, they wanted to make this happen. They had a dream that was bigger than a decision. There was something about it where they were personally engaged. And then that, that quality of putting yourself into what you're doing, that's called choice. Aquinas defines it this way. He says, it's kind of neat. He says, what the will does, in, you know, as, as opposed to the intellect, the intellect sees something as corresponding to the nature of goodness. In other words, this particular action will, re will bring you to a fulfillment. So if you're trying to get to this end goal because it's good, well, then use these means to get to that end goal, right? If you, if you want to bake this cake, then take eggs and take flour and put them together with some sugar, right? <laughs> it's like, and our mind says, okay, but now what has to happen though is that our will needs to then engage. And the will, he says, moves the soul of a person's soul towards the thing that has been chosen. There's another word, it's like a, a, an outward motion that the Greeks call ecstasy. Kind of interesting, right? Like to move out of yourself towards whatever it is that your mind has said is good. So like now you're talking about dynamism, right? Which is action. So I can go from saying, yep, I know that I need to go to mass on Sundays. I know that I need to go to confession once a year at least, right? Like I, I know that we need to lead our family in prayer, all these different things. Fine, I can say that all day long. But when my heart, how, how do I actually move into action? It's that I got to want it, right? If you don't want it, well, then even if you see it as good with your mind, you're not going to have chosen the action personally. And that, that's just it. Every time we make a choice as Aquinas, we're engaging our soul, right? It's our soul is like the, the essence of who we are. I mean, so I mean, we're not engaging ourselves absolutely and completely towards all things. That'd be crazy. But we are saying, no, 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 I did that. This is me, Right. And man, if we could get our workers to work with soul, wouldn't that be amazing? You know, imagine the results. Imagine how wonderful it would be to work with colleagues who, who are in their jobs, right? Well, how do I do that? I, well, Aquinas is saying that that's done by allowing your heart to want, to desire, to love the good that is proposed, Right? So now this happens automatically. This is something that we don't have to think about, break down too much in a person. But when there are difficulties, it's usually because something is running interference with the way that we naturally are called to operate. Normally speaking, a healthy individual, they see the good thing and they go for it. Right? So the, the, it's like, I see what is to be done and I put myself there. That's a healthy, well-built individual. It's probably come from a good family and all that kind of thing. But many of us aren't. Many of us have all kinds of baggage, all kinds of thought patterns that are going into our minds that just keep us from engaging on the pathway that we, our mind has told us to engage on. How do we heal that? Right? Well, that's, of course, where the love of God comes into our life, where grace comes into our life, where Jesus the Savior comes into our life. He's going to be able to help us to get over the fear of wanting and loving the decisions that we have to make.
Why am I so afraid of this? Right? Because if I know that it's a good thing to do, well, then, then I need to do it. And if I'm going to do it, I've got to want it. Right? So maybe the first step for us to, to, to do is if we learn to love our choices is to see what will happen at the far end of it. By engaging in this action, I am going to flourish and to learn to become enamored with that own, your own flourishing. One of the ways that, we're so, that we, we have wounds in us is that we, we end up not even wanting or believing that we should exist in a state of victory. We, we're just kind of convinced that mediocrity is our lot and we're trying to survive. So we spend our time with all kinds of defense mechanisms around us that, that are just designed to make sure that we're safe in our status quo. But of course, the, the, the truth is, everybody, if you stay in your status quo, you're not safe. The real fundamental insecurity of our life is not moving forward because every time you deny yourself that flourishing that, is, that, that comes from love and comes, therefore, from choices that engage you, you actually secretly are shriveling. And with time, if you don't engage, you, you end up you know, not developing. There's like a, an old saying from the, the, that seed that is kept in a barrel will rot. But seed that is taken out of the barrel and thrown into the ground will produce more fruit. So, I mean, we, we all have our fears, but you know what? You got to face those fears. You got to bring those to Jesus and God and ask him for the courage to try, to let your heart stretch out. And the wounds that we carry, well, you know what? They're not going to be final. We can't allow ourselves to be final. There's something that pushes us out of ourselves, and it's called love. Love for God, love for others, love for ourselves. Maybe this is why Jesus commanded it. I mean, it's a, it's a strange thing. What's the com greatest commandment? And he says, you will love. <laughs> it's like, what? what did he command? He commanded it maybe because he knew that this was going to be the hardest thing for us. It's easy for us to read books, easy for us to know what we should do. Uh, yeah, but to actually engage when we love something, well, we go out of ourselves toward it. We become people of action, of dynamism. And, and again, but, but we have fear of failure. Ah, maybe the only real failure is to fear into inactivity. I mean, in the end, look, you got to look beyond yourself. You got to look at the impact your life is made to make. Look at the impact of a great, of putting yourself into your work. Look at the impact of choosing for your family. What will happen when true leadership, it comes out of you? When you, you know what'll happen? I mean, you'll feel better about yourself. You'll bring other people to a better state. You'll impact the, the world around you for the good. And of course, this is what Jesus has commanded us to do. We can't stay neutral. All right, well, if I can't stay neutral, then I need to learn to love what I choose and to choose what I love and to follow in the footsteps of the Savior beyond my fears because the Good Shepherd leads me from where I am to where I can be by teaching me to love my choices. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at communications at stjohninstitute.org. That's communications at stjohninstitute.org and visit www.stjohninstitute.org and sign up for our newsletter to receive updates from Father Nathan.